Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 is a quote from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, which was written some 700 or so years earlier. Matthew 1, 23 stating, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. No, I haven't got my seasons mixed up. I realize this is not December. Imagine this announcement in its historical context. It has been some 400 or so years. There's been no prophetic word from God since the prophet, the last prophet of the Old Testament. People certainly over four centuries probably had begun to wonder, was God with them or not? And all of a sudden, this angel bursts on the scene, tells, speaks of, of Mary bearing a son. You call his name God with us. What a mind-boggling concept. Just not even able to process the understanding that God is going to come and actually dwell with us, God in the flesh. At the very end of Jesus' ministry, just before he ascended into heaven, just before he ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God to intercede for you and me, Jesus left us with an incredible promise, left the disciples with an incredible promise of very much the same nature, the promise to continue to be with them even though he was going to heaven. He said in Matthew 28 and verse 18, it says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, here it comes, I am with you even, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, I'll be with you. Now, keep in mind, I've been reading through a, a book, uh, Eusebius in Church History, and it, it's like Fox's Book of Martyrs in a way, but it goes through what the apostles went through and, and some of the early martyrs in the church and those who would seek to preach God's word. And, and Jesus knew that, that all that they were going to encounter, even death, martyrdom, that they needed to understand they still needed to preach the gospel and that he would still be with them no matter what, even to the end of the age. He would be with them even if it cost them their very lives. Now today, on a different note, nobody in America is going to put us to death for preaching the gospel. Understand that. However, to us, there are some things that can be scary when it comes to telling people about Jesus. Now, certainly not on the level they experienced it, but it can be frightening. It can be overwhelming. It can be terrifying for some even to have the thought that maybe if I talk to somebody about Jesus, I'll have to teach an in-home Bible study. <laughs> 
That can be a frightening thought to some people. I've, I've been around enough to know that it can. Because questions often come up and people just go into a panic. Well, well what will I say? And, and what will I teach? And what if they ask me this? And, and what if they ask me that? And, 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 and what do I do? And, and, you, and, and people get all hyperventilated over that. I, and again, I realize it's not the same level of intensity that they went through and the, the payment that they would have to make. But these can still be very frightening questions for us today if you've actually never sat down and, and led a, an in-home Bible study and taught the gospel or a first principles class to those lost in sin. And so tonight, what I want to do is kind of go through a lesson how God is with us. God is with us when we do God's will. God is with us when we seek to evangelize. God is with us in all of these things. But, but the lesson is not simply about that. The lesson is about all of those other times and places and things that we learn about God being with us, not specifically just evangelism by any stretch. It goes so much further than that. Tonight's lesson is about God's divine purpose and the beautiful promises and the power of God to be with his faithful. No matter the test, no matter the trial, no matter the problem, no matter the trouble, no matter the tribulation you encounter, understand this night, God is with us. Understand further that if you listen to and seek to obey God and you read his word and, and, and you're one of his faithful, doesn't mean you're perfect, not a soul in this building's perfect. Okay? Your preacher isn't. Your elders aren't. No disrespect intended to anybody, but we're simply not perfect or else we wouldn't need to be in this building. The point here is, is that if you are a faithful child of God, God is with you. And that is one of the most incredible, mind-blowing, overwhelming thoughts that you will ever put in your head. God is with you as an individual. I want to take a look at what this means tonight. So please back up into the Old Testament with me to Genesis chapter 26. I want to show you some of the blessings having God with us. And, and as we think about God with us, take it personal. If you've, if you've <laughs> sometimes people think, well, that lesson was kind of personal. Well, let me, let me clear the air tonight. This one's meant to be. Take it personal. If you don't take it personal, you missed the point. Just so we're clear on that. I want you to take it personally what it means to have God with you. Because it will change your week. Just might change your life. Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 6 read as follows. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, here it comes, dwell in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you for to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven and I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice kept my charge my commandments my statutes and my laws and I love verse 6. It's just five short words, but it's really boom. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. I mean, if God comes around and says, look, stay there. 
And I will bless you, I will bless you beyond anything you can imagine. For generations and centuries to come, nations will be, but stay there. And so the next one says, so he stayed. <laughs> I love that. But please notice in our reading, in verse three, notice the beautiful promise. Isaac had fled the land of famine to feed his family. But there's a promise here in verse three. Okay, don't go any further, stay here and I'll bless you. And he did. Look in verses 12 through 14 of this same chapter. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Stop right there, it's a time of planting, isn't it? How many of you, for every one thing you plant, would like to have a hundredfold increase the first year? <laughs> I see several of you that have planted. Imagine that, one potato, could take one potato, and I'm going to get a hundredfold back. I'm going to plant this, this crop or this food or, or, or whatever it is, and I'm gonna get a hundredfold the first year. That's what happened. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper, and he didn't just begin to prosper, what does it say? He continued prospering. Not only did he continue prospering, he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. <laughs> Man, you want to talk about miracle grow, that was kind of, that, that gives a whole new meaning to miracle grow, doesn't it? God took care of him. So all of a sudden, the Philistines begin to envy him. They begin to be jealous of him. They begin to be intimidated by him. And so we continue in verses 16 and following. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you're much mightier than me, than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. Watch this now. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley. They found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water's ours. So he called the name of the well Isaac because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. I want you to just kind of notice something here and, and I'll make a, a brief application of it. Notice what Isaac's trying to do. Isaac is trying to go back to the things of old, the things of Abraham. He's trying to return to those old wells of Abraham, to go back to things of old, and he's fought at every turn. You know, sometimes we who seek to, who have sought for ourselves to go back to things of old, i.e. the Lord's church from the first century, when we seek to share that and tell others that they need to go back to things of old, we need to go back to the original church, back to the original blueprint, the original plan as we seek to evangelize, sometimes they'll fight us at every turn. So what did Isaac do? Kept on laboring. As, 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 much as, they, as much as they quarreled over these things, as he sought to return to things of old, what did he do? Kept on laboring, kept on working. He did not stop. Listen, when God tells us to go out there, share the gospel, to get people to return to the old paths, as it were, from Jeremiah, then we need to keep on laboring. Sometimes people are going to um, ditch all of our efforts, but we need to keep on laboring. 
Finally, after a lot of labor, it paid off. It pays off when you keep going. Look at verse 22. And he moved from there and dug another well. They didn't quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. He didn't stop because of disappointment. He didn't stop because they quarreled with him over those wells. And so the Lord comes to him again after that because he kept laboring. Look what the Lord says. He reiterates that promise in verse 24. And the Lord appeared to him in the same night and said to him, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. As we move on, we see that God was. We look down in verses 26 through 28, and it says, Then Ahimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzah, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to him, What have you come down to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. Even, even those who opposed him saw that the Lord was with him. Isn't that awesome? They said, you've been so blessed, and, and we read down through there. And it's just this incredible story. Brethren, that's what it means to have God with you. That's what it means. When Isaac's son, Jacob, later went out from Beersheba, look at the promise God made him in Genesis 28. Genesis 28, Isaac's son. Verses 10 and following. Look at the promise. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went forward, went toward Haran. Came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and, and put it in his head and, and he lay down in that place to sleep. And then he dreamed and behold, a, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to the heaven and there the angels of God were sending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am. The Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You'll spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken. He lays down to have, and he's laying down in the spot. I mean, he doesn't have much with him. He's laying his head on a rock. That's probably uncomfortable, right? I mean, we've probably all slept in uncomfortable circumstances. A rock. And it must have been hard to imagine sleeping with a rock as your pillow that God's going to give you all of this, all, everything that you could see if it was at daylight. But God said, I am with you. I'll do this. How incredible it is have God with us. Things that look impossible are just ordinary for God. So despite all those years of service to deceptive Laban that we read about in the ensuing verses and chapters, eventually Jacob's father-in-law Laban became hostile in his intentions toward Jacob because God had so blessed Jacob. Just a few chapters, we see Jacob so incredibly blessed that his Father-in-law is resentful of him because probably a lot of his blessing was at Laban's expense, but anyway. Once Jacob had grown wealthy, once after God said, I will be with you and I'll give you all this stuff, Jacob had grown wealthy. God once again reiterates in Genesis 31, 3, he says, return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. I will. Why on earth would Isaac believe that? 
because God had promised him before he'd be with him and God was. And so when God says next time, okay, next route I want you to take, the next path, the next challenge I want you to take, you go do this and I'll be with you. Now, God already having shown him what that meant, if I were him, I think I'd have been anxious to make the journey, wouldn't you? Wow, what's God gonna do this time? I know what he's done thus far, what is he gonna do this time? That's what it means to have God with you. See, that's the way that we should go at struggles in our days and all of those things. If we, if we stood back and watched the Lord work in our lives, we, we, we know he saved our souls and, and he's brought us through these things before and we encounter this, this next thing, we should look at it like God said he'd be with me. Did God promise us all he'd be with us as, as New Testament children of his, did he? Lo, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews tells us there's, there's many, many passages we could turn to, you, you know them. Listen. I know some days it don't seem maybe like, like God is with us and, and everything is not just perfect and complete, and I understand that, but in whose lives in the Bible was it always perfect and complete? Nobody's. But God was with them. And this is what it means to have God with us. As we know, Jacob was later named Israel by God and told that a nation and a company of nations and kings would come from him. That's in Genesis 35, 9 through 12. And they did. This became the nation of Israel, God's Old Testament people, from whence would come Jesus Christ the Lord, our Lord, our King, and our Messiah, our Messiah, the Savior of the world. Finally, after all that trepidation and anxiety about meeting with his brother Esau, whom he had earlier betrayed, plus all of the other twists and turns and travels and tribulations in his life. It says in Genesis 37, 1, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Brethren, God says, I'll be with you and this is what I'm gonna do for you. You need to just smile, praise God, and count on it. That's what it means, God with me. Very briefly, because you all know the story very well, in Genesis chapters 37 through 50, we have the story of Jacob's youngest son, his dearest son, Joseph. We know the two references, but I'm gonna read them anyway. We know what Joseph went through, sold into slavery, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, we know, we know the story. But listen to just these couple of references. When he's cast in prison, Genesis 39, verses one and two says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, Okay, this isn't the one on the prison, this is the other one, sorry. Genesis 39, one and two. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. Brethren, I can cover up that last part of that, ver uh, that, last part of that sentence. It still means the same to me. Listen, when it says the Lord was with him, you don't have to say he was successful. I mean, I'm glad scripture does, and I'm not saying scripture's irrelevant. Don't get the wrong idea. But when I read along and say that, it says, and God was with him, I know he was successful, because that's what God does. That's what it means to have God with you. And then we come to the one in the prison later on. In that same chapter, Genesis 39, verses 21 through 23, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. The Lord was with him. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. 
Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Listen, Joseph was a prisoner. He wasn't a guard. He wasn't a guard in training. He was a prisoner just like the other prisoners. And yet, even in that confinement, the keeper understood that God was with this man and that if he had anything that he gave to Joseph, it would be successful and okay. He didn't even have to check. Why? God with him. That's why. Finally, we look in Genesis 50, and I will ask you to turn there, verses 24 and 5. Genesis 50, verses 24 and 5, look what it says. And Joseph said to his brethren, I'm dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and you'll carry up my bones from here. Joseph understood what it meant to have God with him. He understood that it meant that God would keep his word, that God would keep his promise. Didn't matter what it looked like, didn't matter what it felt like, didn't matter what it seemed like, didn't matter what was going on. He knew that God would keep his promise because God with us is exactly what that means. We have the story of Moses. We all know the story of Moses. As we move into Numbers chapter 13 and 14, remember that story probably too, that God had said to them he would give them this land flowing with milk and honey. They sent spies in, spies came back. 10 of the 12 said they're too big for us. You see, the people weren't willing to take God. Listen, if God, if God was with his people, could they have taken the promised land then and there? Isn't that kind of what Joshua and Caleb said? We can do this. God's with us. My paraphrase. They didn't. We need to be aware that when God says go and I will be with you, even in evangelism in those scary times like that, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that we better not hesitate. We better go in and claim the promise. I want to move ahead to Deuteronomy 31. I, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to just preach on this all night. I, I just, don't some days you just need to know God's with you. Deuteronomy 31. Verses 6 through 8. Look what it says. Moses is getting ready to die. I'll just read the text. Moses said, Be strong, Deuteronomy 31, 6, and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Sometimes you read a text from scripture and you're standing up here in front of people and your back just gets that little creepy crawly feeling. You really do. This is one of those. The Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He'll not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. I could stop the sermon right there. That's power. Later on, we find out in just a few chapters over in Joshua 
chapter 1, this instruction, and we're very familiar with this and it's quoted often. I was so proud, so pleased to see on the bottom of Kenda's graduation announcement that she had the Lord's Word posted there, that she had Joshua 1 and verse 9 there. Whether you're young, whether you're old, if you take the Lord with you, if you're faithful to Him, you need to understand that He will be with you and that you will be blessed no matter what or where life takes you. In Joshua 1 verses 5 through 9, it says, no man shall able to be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Now they are going to have to fight a lot of battles, brethren. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only, only, here's the warning, I'm going to give it to you, but be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left right hand or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. That's the reason we don't turn to the right hand or the left of God's word, so that we might prosper. Because if we want God to be with us, then we need to be faithful to God. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid nor be dismayed, for the, here's why, here's, here comes the bombshell, here's why, rubber meets the road, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's why all of that stuff that comes before that is a lock. Now, we stand here, and, or sit here as the case may be, we kind of know the story and we can read through Joshua and we've probably heard it a thousand times about the Old Testament and, and all of the, okay. All right, but listen, don't take this promise of God for granted just because you know the outcome. Think for just a moment what Joshua was up against. Th think about what he was up against. He was up against superior forces. He was taking over for a 40 year long leader. That's not easy. Sometimes when our presidents and senators change uh, change, uh, we get new presidents or new senators, it's real hard to get things going after taking over for somebody's been in office two years, four years, eight years. Forty years Moses had been in charge of these people. Forty years! And Joshua's the new guy. He's taken over. He is trying to take an obstinate and rebellious people who complained at every turn where they had never been before to accomplish something their fathers had tried to do previously and had failed to do miserably against foes that were probably bigger and more numerous than they were. So, when you put it in that light, Joshua had his hands full, didn't he? No wonder God said, listen, Joshua, I'm with you. I don't care how long Moses has been the leader. I don't care how big these people are. Don't care how many of them there are. Don't care what your fathers ran into with this group. I'm telling you, I am with you. And because I am with you, you can do this. What was the outcome? Joshua 23, 14. Joshua 23 and verse 14. Here's the outcome. Joshua, getting ready to die as an old man, said, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing 
has failed. Of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you, all have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Listen, when God is with you, he guarantees you success. It might not be the success that, that the world deems success, but he guarantees you success that he calls success. In Joshua 24 and verse 32, it says this, the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver in which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. Did you see that? Did, did you see what happened? Joseph, through all of this, his bones are brought back to the very place that God had promised previously that they'd be brought back to. All that land that, that Jacob and Isaac and all that would have, Joseph trusted God. Jacob trusted God. Isaac trusted God. And they followed God. And God said, okay, here's the way this is going to work. And indeed it did. Here comes those bones way up here. And they're buried in that land. Isn't it awesome to know that God keeps his promises? God made and kept as completely and powerfully as only he possibly can that promise to be with him, to strengthen them, to deliver them, and to give them the victory. All who would simply trust and obey him by doing what he commanded. Do you know, and I don't have time tonight to go through all of the places in the Bible as is true, but, but we could go up through so many Old Testament characters. Let me take you to just two. Let me take you to just two. One verse apiece. This is exactly what happened with Gideon. Judges chapter 6, very next book, look at Judges 6 and verse 16. Look what it says. We know that, that Gideon, small forces, his, his people were destitute, decimated. We know the Philistines were lording it over them and, and all of those things. And the Lord said to him in verse 16 of Judges 6, Surely I will be with you and you'll defeat the Midianites as one man. Did they? Uh-huh. You know why? God was with them. We look in the life of King Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 20. Just one verse. 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 20. Look what it says. It says this. And David said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Why, David? For the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. We, we could go on and look at others. We could look at Jeremiah in Jeremiah 15 and verse 20 as well as 40 to 11. We could look at Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 through 9 and, and you're going to keep seeing the same thing. When God is with you, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Over a millennia, after God had renamed Jacob Israel, God continued to reinforce this very same promise to his people who were facing a hostile captivity. He continued to take them back to that and say to them, look, 
You're going into captivity, but you don't need to be dismayed. I will be with you. I will be with you. I will not leave you in your distress. I will be right there beside you to help you, to uphold you, to strengthen you, no matter who or what you may be striving against or contending with. A millennia later, he's reminding them of this. God's trying to make a point. Look what he says in, in Isaiah 41. In Isaiah 41, look what he says, beginning at verse 8. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. He, he's reminding them that, that even though they're going into captivity, they're still his people, and he will be with them no matter what. He said, you whom I have taken, verse 9, from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions, and I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not. Why? For I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my right hand. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And they knew how he'd already done this a thousand years earlier. Finally, in, in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7, look, look at this. But now... Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Remember, Jacob was, was renamed Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Isn't it awesome when God says, you're mine? You know what? If you're a child of God, that's what God's got to say, you're mine. Doesn't it give you an understanding of security to know that you belong to the living God? You're mine. Mm. When you pass through the waters, verse 2 of Isaiah 43, I, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they'll not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. And when nor shall the flame scorch you. Yeah, we know about three gentlemen that happened to in the book of Daniel. Verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, take this personal. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Listen, God didn't just give nations in your place. God gave his son for you. If these people had a sense of, of power and belonging when God says, you're mine and I've given nations for you, listen. We are Christians. God gave his son for us. That's more than any nation. That puts this on, on spiritual steroids. Since you were precious in my sight. Were you precious in the sight of God? Talked this morning about Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Even when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. That's another one of those chills up the spine to have God saying, I have loved you. I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. And again, he didn't give people for hours. He gave Jesus for hours. Fear not, for I am with you. And he goes on to say how he will bring them together, his sons and daughters from the ends of the earth. And he goes on to say in verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. God says they are my people. 
my people who are called by my name, and today you and I are called by the name of Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, we, we talked about 18 through 20, God said he would be with us when uh, he told us to go and, and preach the gospel told them to go and preach the gospel and he would be with them. I wanna, you can keep your Bibles open if you would please. I close mine because I've got a graph here that I wanna go down through real quick. In other words, don't get ready for the invitation just yet. When you leave here tonight, I want you to have a new appreciation for what it means to have God with us, God with you personally. I went down through and, and I looked up this phrase, be with you, in the New Testament. And I want to share with you, as we get ready to close, a whole bunch of references. Do you know what you have with you if you have God with you? Do you know how important it was as Paul closed many of his letters, as, as Peter closed his letters to our first century brethren, as the writer, I'm sorry, not Peter, um, the writer of Hebrews and John, closed their letters, in every one of those, in a lot of those letters, they wanted people to know what it meant to have God with you. It means certain things else are with you as well. Listen, listen to this list. In Romans chapter 15, verse 33, now may the God of peace be with you all. In chapter 16, in verse 20, again of Romans, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Isn't, isn't that great? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace. Do you need God's grace? He said, grace of God be with you. Take it personal. As you walk with God, his grace is with you. Romans chapter 16 and verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. As we move on to the closing of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 23 and 4, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you in Christ Jesus. As we move on to 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 11 and 14, Paul closes by saying, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be, doesn't say might be, doesn't say maybe. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. The verse 14 of that same chapter, 2 Corinthians 13, says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Do you understand you have that? Listen, listen. The grace of Christ, the love of God, and sharing in the Holy Spirit. That's what you have with you as a Christian. In God, awesome. That's what it means that we have with us when we have God with us. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. He talks about how the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. I need the God of peace with me. As he closes out Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 23, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. He closes out 1 Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 28 with that pretty much word for word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he closes out with verses 16 and 18, says, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you. The grace of our Lord be with you. 2 Timothy 4, 22, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. Titus 3, 15, grace be with you. Hebrews 13, 25, grace be with you. 2 John 1, 3, grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God the Father. 
Revelation 22, 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Listen, 12 of those passages, 12, I counted them. 12 of those passages say, in one form or another, the grace of God be with you. Yes, his love, yes, his peace, yes, God himself, but God's grace. Brethren, we need the grace of God. We need grace from God. We need grace from one another. And we need grace from ourselves. Because sometimes that which God has forgiven us of personally, we can't seem to leave beneath the blood. And sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. We need God, the grace of God from God. We need the grace of God from one another. And we need the grace of God from ourselves. 11, uh, 12 times in the conclusions of those epistles, it says grace be with you. It's that important. God with us. There's absolutely nothing else on earth like knowing that the God of love and grace and peace and mercy and compassion and victory and power is not in some far off place, but he's with us. Isn't that awesome? When you leave here tonight, Understand that you're taking God with you in a sense. Understand what it means to have God with you. And when you get up in the morning and you get ready to go to school or you get ready to go to work, if you are a child of God, God takes every step with you. Be, it, be joyful about that. Be happy about that and tell somebody else how awesome it is that God is with you. Because that will get you through anything. It all begins and ends with whether or not you want to be with God, enough to love him and trust him and obey his word. John 14, 15 through 23. Do you want God with you is the question. If you would be baptized into Christ tonight for the forgiveness of your sins so that God can be with you, to heal up that, that chasm that exists between God and sinners because of their sin, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, if you would heal that up, God wants to be with you. God desperately wants to be with you, and he can't be as long as you've got your sins all over your soul. You've, you've got to have those washed away. And maybe you're somebody here tonight who's already done that. You've had your sins washed away. You started walking with God, but... Somewhere along the line, maybe you just simply lost sight of what a beautiful, powerful, incredible, awesome thing it is. In the course of life, you just lost sight, lost track of, of what it means, God with me. And you just need the prayers of the church to have that, the joy of your salvation relit as David did. Or you just need the prayers of the church to be stronger, to let others see in you what it means to have God with me. Do not lose sight this week of what it means to have God with you. It is the most incredible blessing you will ever, 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 ever enjoy. If you don't have that tonight, for either of those reasons, please come forward right now as we stand and sing, and let's make sure that you have God with you as you begin your new week. Please come now as we stand and sing.